1: You're listening to KUCI, Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the great robot wars. meter Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to UCI Conversations, a weekly public affairs program dedicated to exploring everything in the land of blue and gold, with interviews of UCI leaders, innovators, and last but not least, zot, 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 everyday anteaters. I am your host, Kevin Bossenmeier, aka Timothy Toastmaster, excited and committed to bringing you informative, inquisitive, and just plain fun positive talk radio. So here we go. All right. Hey, everybody out there in KUCI radio land. You are listening to UCI Conversations Live. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer, and my special guest today for the sixth time since the pandemic started is UCI public health professor, Dr. Andrew Neumer. Dr. Neumer is a recognized expert in pandemics, including the 1918 worldwide flu, and barely a week goes by when I do not see one of his quotes being used on local and or national news media, or actually see him on TV. Welcome, Dr. Neumer, how are you today? It's
0: a great pleasure to be back, and it's a great pleasure to be in the studio with you, Kevin, here at KUCI, like we were at the very start of the pandemic. We've been recording the other interviews remotely, of course, but now it's great to be back on the UCI campus and in the
1: studio with you. Super. Uh, Agreed. Agreed. Before we get into an update about COVID-19, Professor, can you briefly tell us about how your college experience played into your preparation for such a worldwide event as we've had?
0: Well, I mean, my research agenda has always been pandemics from day one. I mean, my, my dissertation topic at the University of California, Berkeley for my PhD was the 1918 influenza uh, pandemic. And I've been studying pandemics uh, ever of and particularly infectious disease mortality, More well, pandemics in particular and infectious disease mortality in, in general, ever since I arrived at UC Irvine as an assistant professor in 2006. And so... I certainly was in a position to, you know, to offer my expertise up when the when the pandemic struck. I've I've been sort of doing that ever since. So I'm not sort of uh hanging a shingle out uh for COVID uh just because I'm a public health professor and because there's COVID here. I mean, I've I've been um I've been studying pandemics
1: for my whole career. Did you anticipate that it was sooner or later in your career something this gigantic was going to come into play, come into being?
0: Uh, early in my career, I thought it was an inevitability that there was going to be another uh, pandemic. I thought it would be another flu pandemic and something like 1918. And as my career evolved, I became more and more of the opinion that it was possible but not inevitable, that there would be another flu pandemic that was severe like 1918. i I'd been working at UC Irvine for three years when the 2009 pandemic struck of of influenza, and some of your listeners will remember that and and others won't. Part of the reason why some of your listeners won't remember that is that even though it was classified technically as a flu pandemic, it wasn't really that big a deal. So I became more of the opinion that, you know, the the last really severe flu pandemic came in um, 1968 and the the world is such a different place since since then in terms of how it mixes how populations mix with each other and it just it, i was sort of adhering to the theory that it wasn't an inevitability that there would be another of uh, catastrophic flu pandemic, because the flu strains were in so much more diverse circulation than they were in in earlier in the 20th century. And it just wasn't clear to me that the next flu pandemic wouldn't be more like, you know, the 2009 flu pandemic, so that we would have less severe pandemics. So I wasn't at all of the opinion that it was inevitable that we would have uh, a pandemic, but it certainly was something that I didn't rule out either. So uh, I don't know if that's a fence sitting answer, but that's basically where I was at. Now, with the COVID pandemic, of course, you know, we have a lot of variables here. It's it's less severe than the 1918 flu was, but it's also lasting longer, and that's because it's a different process. And I'm sure we'll have time to talk about the differences. So I wasn't again ex- expecting it, but I wasn't ruling it out either. So it's just sort of um, sort of somewhere in the middle.
1: We've been you know dealing with it for almost two years now, and it seems like the knowledge is that no one knows what's going to happen next and it seems like if you think you do it it goes a different direction can you just give us your sense of where we are today and what's going on
0: yeah well i mean you know th- this kind of dovetails with what i was saying a minute ago about the differences with 1918 i mean it's a it's a pandemic and it's a respiratory disease and th- that's sort of where the similarities end the 1918 flu pandemic was the emergence of a new strain of influenza but influenza is a virus that has been with human beings for centuries and we're not exactly sure when influenza a virus emerged in humans but we do know that 1918 wasn't it 1918 was just the emergence of the h1n1 strain so and, and that was a, a brutal strain of, of flu, and it killed, you know, more people than than COVID has killed, and the world population was much less back then. So, the the severity of the 1918 flu epidemic or pandemic cannot be overstated. But the uh, what we're seeing now is is something really rather different. We're seeing the emergence of a new virus. Now, it's a, it's a it's a coronavirus, and there are coronaviruses that are in common circulation in humans that caused a common cold. But SARS-CoV-2, the virus that's been causing COVID, is different enough from the common cold coronaviruses that it is, for all intents and purposes, a, a brand new virus. So we're seeing different phenomenon. We're seeing the emergence of a new disease like someone in the 14th century or or even before saw the emergence of influenza as a new disease back way back then, but it wasn't recognized as such at the time because, you know, the state of medical knowledge was, was low. What we're seeing is the emergence of a new disease, and that's why it's persisting, because it's, it's, it's struggling to uh, find an equilibrium. And in 1918, there was all sorts of... Um, prior immunity to influenza so so the flu kind of the severe stage of the pandemic lasted for for one or two years depending on on how you look at it but then it sort of faded away what we're seeing now is a, is a much more tumultuous um you know s- sequence of events in which we're going into the second full winter of in the northern hemisphere of uh, coronavirus and it's just it's just a different phenomenon where you know it's it, it's something that we've never observed before the, the closest analog is hiv aids in the 1980s brand new virus causing a new disease to which there was no prior immunity but the but the thing is as as you and your listeners know you know H, hiv spreads through a, a different route it's bloodborne and sexually transmitted and it's just a different uh kettle of fish for that reason. Uh, this is the first time we've ever um, um, uh, witnessed the emergence of a brand new respiratory pathogen. So, uh, you know, 1918 wasn't it. That was just another strain of flu. And in fact, there were some peculiar mortality patterns in 1918 that um, are, are a result of that phenomenon because people at older ages actually had uh, very typical flu mortality in 1918. Even while people at younger ages were dying at very atypical rates, uh, people 65 plus in 1918 were dying at typical rates. Why is that? Because they were born in the in the 19th century and they had been exposed to some strain of flu that was similar enough to the H1N1 that emerged in 1918, and so they were actually protected. People who were 30 years old uh, were born uh, after had after that strain had vanished and, and they had no prior immunity to it. So, but, but that prior immunity was there, even if it was concentrated in, in certain cohorts. Um, the whole world's population uh, for all intents and purposes is, is immuno naive to SARS-CoV-2. And so we have, you know, a totally different phenomenon, although, although we're learning ev- every day that in fact, you know, more. And, and in fact, some cross-immunity between OC43, the strain that causes the common cold of coronavirus, and the SARS-CoV-2 may explain why some people get SARS-CoV-2 to, to asymptomatically and other people, you know, even, even die. So so it's not that, you know, cross-immunity is, is is a complete non-phenomenon non, non phenomenon here, but um, it's, it's just a different... Uh, animal. We're seeing the emergence of an, of a new disease. And so that's why it's not kind of one and done. That's why we're heading into the second full winter and it's not going away. And I mean, new normal is sort of the most cliched of cliched expressions, but we're heading into what's a new normal. It's going to take a few years before, um, you know, SARS-CoV-2 is, is, uh, kind of in the in the background that we're all used to so you know uh, you know people ask if well you know sh- shouldn't we close schools again this year or some, sometimes people ask I me mean, that some, sometimes people are still uh, upset that we closed schools you know last year but uh, mm-hmm. you know what's what's done is done and moving forward when we decide well should we close schools I mean it's not good enough to say well there's SARS CoV2 out there so we should close the schools in my opinion. And and why is that? Well, you know, there'll be SARS-CoV-2 out there next year, too. And the year after that, it's not going away. And so if your criterion for closing schools is that there's SARS-CoV-2 out there, then we're going to have schools closed for a number of years. And that's not tenable. So I don't, I don't know if you, you know, I mean, uh, if I'm getting ahead of your, your flow of questions, but I mean, basically, this is the new normal. You know, when I was on the air prior times, we talked about herd immunity. And the, the lingo has kind of changed. We're talking about endemicity now, and I can I can say some more about that. But, you know, endemicity means living with SARS-CoV-2,
1: living with coronavirus. In terms of precautions, I understand California today mandated masks until the middle of January. Can we relax a little bit? Or yeah, it, it's uh, I think people are really getting exhausted and... It seems like we're kind of getting back to normal, yet, boy, the sports teams seem to be accelerating in terms of people coming down with the virus. Now, you know, California, we have mask mandates again. South Korea just recorded their highest death toll for a single day. What is your feeling in terms of precautions? Well,
0: so that's a complicated question. That That's sort of the key question about mm. uh, how we behave moving forward. Let me take a look at that from several different angles. You know, California has a mask mandate as as effective today, as you pointed out, and uh, UC Irvine, from where
1: we are speaking to your listeners. And the date is December 15th, 2021.
0: That's right. Has had a mask mandate for some time. and This is radio, but we we are both, uh, so your listeners can't see us, but we are both masked Mm -hmm. here in the studio, and I hope the microphones can pick up our voices in spite of that. But, you know, I mean... I mask myself um, when I'm going out in public in in indoor spaces. And uh, I I, I believe in the power of masks to form a physical barrier between, you know, our respiratory tract and and, and the rest of the outside world. And so I have no problem as a public health message saying like, we we need to mask right now because winter is here and it's uh, winter is a, a good time for transmission of virus, respiratory viruses the Omicron uh, variant is you know is, is is already in California, et cetera et cetera but I mean I, th- I think you know the people of California have some really good questions about this also you know it may, it may surprise you and your listeners to to know that um, even as an epidemiologist, I don't have all the answers to these questions. I mean one thing is that the statewide mask mandate that was unveiled. I think on monday and takes took effect this morning as we speak you know it's it's supposed to be for 28 days so till mid uh, uh, january of 2022 I, I mean i'm a little skeptical myself isn't even as an epidemiologist of, of why 28 days i mean um i don't i don't foresee the situation becoming materially better uh, with uh, especially vis-a-vis omicron you know, by mid-January. So it, this is something I would anticipate being extended. And the state health authorities are are kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place here because on the one hand, if they announce uh, an indefinite masking order and say, well, we'll lift it sometime in the spring, but we don't know when yet, uh, I mean, that's gonna cause a lot of people to be f- fatigued. Uh, I mean, my glasses are f- fogging up as, as I speak to you. So I mean, masking is not entirely without in, its inconveniences. I mean, I, I mask in public. I, I don't mind doing it. It's it's something that we are doing, you know, for our ourselves and for others. But it, you know, let's let's be honest. It's not uh, totally um, without it's it's small uh, costs and uh, sometimes people. Um, you know, people vary in how much it, 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 it irritates them. But um, I, I people are d- definitely don't want to hear um, that, they, that they're going to have to mask until March. So the announcement was to mask until mid-January. But I don't know that mid-January is going to be good enough. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, th- it seems to me that the state is announcing a, a four-week uh, mask mandate and, and, and really, really hoping and hoping and praying that, that they won't have to extend it, but knowing if they're paying close attention, which I'm sure they are, that they probably will have to extend it. So, you know, from a public relations point of view, if you want to put it that way, is it better to just be candid and say, you know, we have to mask for the winter and we don't know when we'll lift it? Or is it better to say four weeks and and keep, you know, secretly sort of keeping our fingers crossed that, that it won't have to be extended while knowing that it probably will? And the answer is, you know, I, I don't know. I, I personally believe that scientists can be can be honest with the public and that and that um, some of the bad faith recommendations that have been made, you know, by uh, Anthony Fauci and others about, you know, you don't need to mask and, and whatnot. Or I'm talking early in the pandemic. I'm talking in, in um, March of 2020 when, the, you know, there was concern that there would be a run on masks. and And so the advice was, well, we don't need to mask. Well, that's really unfortunate, I think, and uh, I don't know what the internal discussions were in, in the California state government about the latest order. But I'm a little bit—I mean, the the problem I have is not that I'm against people masking; it's it's that I'm I've become allergic to these bad faith requests. I mean, if they if they know that we're going to need to be masking through March, that they should pro- I, probably just say through March. Although I do understand why the temptation is to say well 4 weeks and maybe if, if we catch a lucky bounce it'll be only 4 weeks i mean the other another aspect and i'll get to the south korea aspect of your question in a second but the other aspect is people were sort of told well vaccinate and boost and then you know we can get back to normal and you know now we're not really back to completely normal and uh i, I don't i don't know what to to say other than i i, I mean was, i was always a little wary of of overpromising what situation would be if, if people would just vaccinate because the 90 percent or so effectiveness of the vaccines that came out of the trials and that we were talking about 12 months ago exactly that was always a bit of a of a upper bound on how well the vaccines would work it's not it wasn't going to be that well the vaccines are 90 percent and that's the last word you know we've seen with influenza that the uh, vaccine uh, Effectiveness depends on, you know, what the predominant strain is in that in that year. And, uh, you know, we we call strains of uh, COVID, uh, well, SARS-CoV-2, we call them variants. We're using a slightly different terminology, but it's 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 it's, for all intents and purposes, the same thing. And so it was probably uh, foolish to to say, well, if we vaccinate, we can get totally back to normal. I, I think that was a, a good faith error, not a bad faith one. Mm. So it's more understandable, but at the same time, I, I worry that people will stop complying because they'll say, look, we did everything you asked us to and you keep moving the goalposts. And I think, um, you know, most of the time the intention isn't goalpost moving, but it's per- but, but it's understandable that it's perceived that way. And I, I worry that... Um, Again, I, a while ago I said we're between a rock and a hard place in terms of do we announce four-week masking order or do we announce indefinite masking order, et cetera. We're also between a rock and a hard place between you know trying to do our best now and then also make it sustainable into the future. I mean, I think a lot of people are not going to sign up for this concept of we're going to mask every winter for the next decade, but mm. that may be the world we're in at some level. and. Another thing I wanted to mention is that you know the there's a lot of heterogeneity across counties in California about what this masking order means. I mean in Orange county, it really is a new um, order effective this morning in los angeles county it's it's a little bit closer to the guidance that they already had in effect, and so you know the the change is is variable, and I think the enforcement will be variable, and I think the compliance will be variable so it remains to be seen what's going to happen in California. And then internationally, we see South Korea have, having...
1: Yeah, uh, please tell us more. Uh, like, I, I was really surprised when I read that this week, that South Korea, I know each country has had different challenges, but I thought South Korea had relatively had a good run at it. And now all of a sudden, they're at you know the highest death rate in the history of the pandemic, so far, is it, can you tell us why?
0: Yes. I mean, South Korea, like many countries, is finding that it's, that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Or, or as I uh, said in, in March or early April 2020, it's a, it's a 26.2 mile sprint, <laughs> not a marathon. I mean, you have to be basically, to, to simply avoid the pandemic altogether, you have to be like nearly perfect nearly all the time. So countries like New Zealand, which which enjoy um, a geographical isolation, you know, can exploit that to their advantage and have sort of a perfect pandemic, so to speak. But, you know, partly at the expense of their own uh, tourism industry, to be uh, totally candid. But that's that's a decision for uh, for New Zealand to make. Um, Not, you know, not for me sitting here in the KUCI studio. But I mean, it's it's going on longer than anyone expected. And so and and we're seeing, you know, as these variants uh, come online, we're seeing, you know, less vaccine efficacy. We're seeing breakthrough cases, as they're known. And so, you know, uh, Denmark, for example, a, a, a bit like South Korea, um, which very publicly congratulated itself in in September of, of this year and and lifted all Covid restrictions um, is is now in the throes of its worst wave of the pandemic to date. Wow! And so, you know, I mean, I mean, it, it's it's just th- this virus. I mean, Delta was more uh, transmissible than Alpha, and uh, all signs point to Omicron being more transmissible than Delta, and we're getting into territory where the virus you know and and omicron will be the dominant strain before you know too long it will dis, it will um displace delta as the dominant strain it's it's just it's not clear you know short of being uh north korea or new zealand or you know perhaps taiwan um and and perhaps uh mainland china you know it's it's just not clear that any country can really um just avoid COVID altogether. So I mean South Korea, which had been doing very well and, and still all told was doing better than a lot of places, you know they're just they're having their wave now because this is so transmissible. I mean measures that worked against the wild type strain or alpha in terms of contact tracing and testing and whatnot, you know, just work less well against Omicron. And it, it's not at all clear the early narrative about Omicron was that it's more transmissible but less severe. It, the less severe part is, is really not at all clear. Mm. I, I mean, I think, I think we know enough to say that it's, it's not more severe. So the new, you know, for the listeners, for the KECI listeners who are wondering what this all means to their everyday life, I mean, the new strain is, is uh, it's not worse as far as if you get it, what will happen to you. Um, it, it may well be less severe, but that's not that's far from clear. I mean, we're seeing hospitalization data in South Africa now where omicron was first detected we're seeing hospitalization data uh, looking quite concerning so it, it's it's not at all clear that where the rubber meets the road Om- omicron is 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 much less severe than what we've had it is clear that it's probably not worse and it is clear that it's it's more transmissible so i mean we're we're in for you know, another winter wave of, 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 of COVID. California has done pretty well during the pandemic compared to some other states in the U.S., and I expect us to do continue to do pretty well. But again, that's relative to other states. I mean, I mean, before the winter is over, things will get worse in California than they are today.
1: Excuse me for a moment, Professor, while I update our audience. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. And my guest today is UCI public health professor and pandemic expert, Dr. Andrew Neumer. And today we're getting an update on where we are with COVID-19 and all the assorted details. Professor, when you hear people talk about I'm fully vaccinated, but then they're not boosted, is is that the uh, accepted jargon or I guess for a while, I thought fully vaccinated would mean you had the latest, which would include boosters. Do do you know how that's distinguished?
0: Well, I mean, fully vaccinated is not, strictly speaking, a technical term. So uh, it would mean that you have had two shots of one of the mRNA vaccines, so far. It, Pfizer and Moderna, which are the two authorized and in, and in the case of Pfizer uh, F, fully FDA-approved mRNA vaccines in the United States, or or one shot of Johnson and Johnson uh, or the uh, Janssen as it's also known, um, and uh, b- boosting would be a, a third shot, or or in the case of a J and J recipient, a second shot. And I mean, my recommendation is so t- so right now. For example, here at UC Irvine, the policy is that uh, that all affiliates, so faculty, staff, and students have to be vaccinated and fully vaccinated. So that would mean compliance with uh, one shot of J&J or two shots of, of one of the mRNA vaccines. Uh, UCI does not require um, boosters. They encourage it, and, and um, uh, UCI affiliates such as myself have received... Um, you know uh, countless emails uh uh you know uh nudging us to to get a booster but but it's not part of the formal um, university of california vaccine requirement i am boosted myself i uh as well as i yeah and uh, and it's something that i would recommend to your listeners to to get that third shot of of an mRNA vaccine or 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 if the first round was a j and j to get a, a single shot of uh of any of them. So a J and J recipient can be boosted with Pfizer or can get a second J and J shot, and I mean I, I think that will serve us well as we head into the winter. Uh, you know, it, coping with uncertainty is part of this pandemic process. Being vaccinated is not an airtight guarantee against a breakthrough case, and you know here's another example where I'm I'm quite skeptical of um, of the of the Centers for Disease Control because they they really soft pedaled the prevalence of breakthrough cases for far too long. It was, it was clear as early as mid July of this year that there were a significant number of breakthrough cases. That is to say uh, cases of COVID in which the individual had been more than 14 days past their uh, second shot of vaccine. And uh, hmm. you know, you know, so, even now, particularly in the presence of Omicron, you know, being boosted, I mean, it's something that I can recommend in good faith. It's something I've done myself. And, but it's not, it's not going to be a watertight guarantee against, uh, against getting a case of COVID this, this winter with Omicron. And, you know, when you, when you start talking about maybe a fourth dose, which has been, is kind of floated as a trial balloon. And, you know, I, I think that's going to be really tricky to sell to the public um, I, I think anything more frequent than annual shots like, like we have with flu is going to be a real hard sell so I'm hopeful that um, we can get through this Omicron wave without things being too bad but I'm apprehensive about um, getting on a a schedule of, of booster shots that's very frequent
1: Do you know I have a little bit of a sense that, you know, we we tried the original vaccine. I I got Moderna, so I, you know, I had two shots and then it seemed like, did I have that for a year or then it was like, okay, well, the booster came into play. I mean, for me personally, if they said that my antibodies were decreasing after six months and to get a booster, I, I wouldn't have a problem with that, but yet we have i think 200 million people who have had all their vaccinations but then only 55 million have received the booster so for whatever reason i don't know if people are just lazy or you well, know, busy it's
0: it's a. I mean i don't i i don't think you know the american people are collectively lazy i mean certainly they are collectively busy on the other hand no. but um you know the messaging was was terrible and uh the the Centers for Disease Control just needs to do uh, a much better job. Uh, I mean, they've really uh, gotten a black eye during this pandemic. And um, I, I mean, it was it was clear in August that uh, you know we were going to need boosters, and and California actually led the way here. California was was uh, approving uh, or authorizing, I guess would be the technical term uh, booster shots. Uh, before the the nationwide authorization came out. So, you know, when you have states getting out in front of the CDC, I mean, the CDC is supposed to be there, you know, at the uh, at the sharp end of the spear when when the pandemic comes and uh it's ju- it's just been a a total communications nightmare. I mean, and 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 the other thing is I think it was a mistake, although in this again in this case a good faith mistake, but it was a mistake to to promise people that they just need two shots and then and then everything
1: would be fine. Mm-hmm. Mm. so you you suspected that no we're gonna need more
0: well as soon as we started having these significant mm. variants mm. Uh, it became clear that it was a, it was a situation a, a bit like influenza where we where we typically get a new f- a flu shot every fall and so I mean I, I I figured at that point that yeah we would we would need more than two you know th- this kind of dovetails with I mean there Part of the reluctance, in, at least in some quarters, about um, talking about third shots for Americans or third shots for people in wealthy countries was that um, many people around the world haven't gotten their first shot yet. I mean, vaccine equity, as, as the term has come to be known, of basically making sure that everyone who, who wants a COVID shot and is age eligible uh, can get a COVID shot, you know, wherever they may be living. Be it you know, um, Irvine, California, or in in Malawi or something, you know, can get their COVID shot. And uh, vaccine equity is so important because you know emergence of of new and dangerous variants is what you get when don't vaccinate the whole world. And so you know, I'm absolutely in favor of vaccinating, you know, the entire world. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, we cannot do like we do with with um, influenza, where basically you know, people in North America and and Europe and Australia, New Zealand get the flu shot, and and basically much of the rest of the world doesn't. We're going to have to vaccinate the whole world, but vaccination, as it turns out, in most cases requires three doses. You know, it's it's there's it's just a tricky, multifaceted uh, problem, and I mean, ultimately we're going to have to do a better job than we're doing of manufacturing and distributing vaccine for the whole world, including three doses for the whole world. So three doses for people living in Malawi or, you know, or Chad or or, where, or wherever, you know, it may be. But um, so it's 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 a it's a challenge. But, you know, I mean, uh, uh, rising to challenges is what is the is the order of the day, I think, for for a pandemic.
1: Gotcha. Are the shots the same? Uh, you know, when you get, like, the first Moderna shot, you get the second shot. Are they the same? And then is the booster the same shot? So the first
0: and second shots of Pfizer and Moderna are the same. Uh, for Moderna, there's a, a, a half-dose booster that's been o- authorized. So mm-hmm. so the, the booster, as explicitly a booster, is a um, half-dose. But people can – people have received um, – Full. full doses. Thank you. Full doses of Moderna uh, mm-hmm. as boosters. And that that works out fine, too. So um, so your listeners who may have received like a third shot of Moderna or a f- or a full shot of uh, Pfizer as a booster, is that's fine. The, the half dose of Moderna has been authorized as a booster. So the goal there is to just, cons- just conserve uh, vaccine.
1: Oh, what about the Pfizer pill that's just been approved? I mean, please tell us all about that.
0: I believe it's 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 Merck that had uh, the first uh, FDA-authorized uh, treatment. So treatments for COVID are actually not significant in the epidemiology. So it's it's going to be a bit like oseltamivir was for flu. You know, vaccination in many cases makes someone t- totally immune to COVID so that they don't get it, they don't spread it, they don't get a breakthrough case, et cetera. Now, the COVID vaccine is not totally a transmission-blocking vaccine, which means that... People can get COVID asymptomatically even if they've been vaccinated, for example. So, you know, uh, Kevin, I'd I'd rather get an asymptomatic case than a symptomatic case, you know, seven days a week. But the the point is that and so that's one of the reasons why I'm so happy that I'm vaccinated when I wake up every morning. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if if I can get an asymptomatic case, that's good for me. But but if I'm still shedding virus, I can still transmit. And so that creates a tricky situation for, um, for COVID epidemiology because the virus can perpetuate. Mm -hmm. So it creates this, a trickiest situation for those who are unvaccinated. And, um, and at, and at this point, um, so, you know, if, if any of the listeners are, are still unvaccinated, I would, I would absolutely recommend that they vaccinate. And, you know, like, like all my COVID recommendations, it's, it's something that I've, I've done myself. I mean, I, I made a promise to myself from day one of the pandemic that I wouldn't recommend things to the general public through my media work that I wasn't doing myself. So, But when it comes to treatment, it it works differently than a vaccine because treatment is for sure not transmission blocking. That is to say, you, you know, the vaccine does have this unfortunate aspect that it has breakthrough cases and it has asymptomatic transmission. But there's also people who are vaccinated for whom the virus is a, it's a dead end for the virus. So so they don't transmit. They, they're protected and they don't transmit to others. And when you're talking about uh, treatment, you're talking about someone coming into the see a healthcare provider, and getting diagnosed with COVID. And only at that point when they've already uh, gotten sick and they've already potentially transmitted it to others then they be- get treatment so it it doesn't it's it's not a game changer in terms of the epidemiology and and it, it will be clinically relevant for some people but i i just don't see the treatment options we have now as being game changers at all mm, mm. i mean it, i mean it's not a bad thing that uh, a clinician has more tools in the arsenal but I mean, it's not going to it's not going to halt the pandemic in its tracks for sure.
1: If you're at UCI or in the surrounding area, is, is there a best resource for information? So, I mean, if you it's UCI forward, it's called. So basically,
0: UCI.edu forward slash coronavirus. But basically, if you go to the UCI homepage, um, you'll find uh, a link prominently displayed on the homepage. Uh for, so it's uci.edu forward slash coronavirus. And, and there you'll find uh, links to uh, various media presentations, links for what uh, students, faculty, staff, and visitors can do as far as managing COVID at UCI, getting vaccinated, getting tested, getting uh, access to free face coverings. And so the UCI community members who've been you know, listening to this interview, are well aware of uh, the daily symptom check, uh, self-evaluation email that they that we have to do, and and uploading, you know, proof of vaccination, and asymptomatic testing for those who are not vaccinated for whatever reason. And then also there's a random sample of people, uh, UCI community members who are tested asymptomatically, whether or not they are vaccinated. So for people who, for whatever reason, aren't vaccinated, those people have to uh, um, receive testing once a week, whether or not they are symptomatic. And then uh, other community members can get um, tested as- uh, symptomatically, uh if they're if they're showing symptoms and they can and there's also on demand asymptomatic testing. So it's someone who's just uh, worried that they may have been exposed can get tested asymptomatically. But there's also uh, a random sample every week of community members who are required to test even if asymptomatic just as a surveillance effort. So we can understand what's going on uh, on the campus so we can try to nip um, uh, any way any new waves in the in the bud.
1: Gotcha. You know, we often hear about lessons learned during this pandemic for you know planning for the future. Are there any solid things that we've learned from this pandemic that we can use in the future? It seems like it's been such a difficult go at it so far.
0: Well, I mean, I mean the big, the biggest. I mean. I- I, I, so let me. I can answer that a bunch of different ways. But I mean, one of the things is that I actually think that we're less prepared, not more, for the next pandemic than we were uh, in January of 2020. Um, you you would think that having learned all the lessons of COVID, yeah. that we'd be um, more prepared. But I, I think the public uh, fatigue is higher, mm. and if. Um, you know, assuming we weather this storm and there's another pandemic in 2027 of, of whatever, you know, um, SARS-CoV-3 or just, you know, whatever you want to call it or whatever it is, I, I think there's going to be uh, more, not less skepticism about vaccines, more, not less skepticism about masking, uh, more, not less opposition to uh, closing schools if, if if that's sort of being discussed, I mean, I, it's it's obviously hard to comment on the specifics of a mm. hypothetical future um, pandemic. But I mean, public health is is all about uh, the public, and you know, in, in a in a free and open democracy, it's about in, involving the public in their own protection, not about you know, not just about mandates and 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 you know, requirements. And uh, I mean, I don't want to see. I, I'm absolutely in favor of you know, uh, vaccination and I'm vaccinated myself. And, and I, I, I sort of do look askance at, at, uh, people who, you know, refuse vaccination, but, but I'm not, I don't favor, you know, uh, some idea where, you know, the, the sheriff knocks on your door if you're unvaccinated and, and with, you know, with a public health, um, nurse, you know, behind, uh, the deputy saying Mm -hmm. it's time for your shot. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, we live in a free and open society and, and people, um, have the right to, you know, refuse vaccination, um even though that's not my recommendation. And uh I mean it gets a little bit of a gray area when you're talking about um education or employment because uh, schools have the right to you know re- require um that students be vaccinated and uh, employers have the right to require that um employees be vaccinated and and so that's a little bit uh you know more of a gray area but uh, you know, I, I mean, my vision of public health is one in which everyone is made to feel like they're stakeholders in their own health and, and that of the community, and I th- and I think that's been really dented by all the f- um, fractiousness that's ar- arisen during mm-hmm. the last twenty four months or twenty two months of the COVID pandemic, mm-hmm. and I and I and I think um, you know that's kind of going to linger a little bit like a like a. a a stench in the air if uh, if the next pandemic occurs relatively quickly. So, um, I mean, the lesson learned is is that it's going to be tough.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, the UCI Conversation Show. And my guest is UCI Public Health Professor Andrew Neumer. His expertise is pandemics, and he is much quoted and interviewed on social media and and old-school traditional media Go ahead, Professor. Oh,
0: yeah. Th- thank you for, you- you've reminded me also that uh, I-, I tweet pretty regularly about uh, th- th- uh, these topics uh, and my Twitter handle is at Andrew Neumer, so your listeners can uh, see my daily thoughts on, on the pandemic. I, I uh, have been tweeting um, less in the last uh, week- weeks and months uh, than than I was at some point during the pandemic. I just feel like there's a tidal wave of, uh, of tweets and social media about all aspects of the pandemic. And sometimes it's less is more. So I've, I've been uh, I'm continuing to, to engage people uh, from all walks of life about the pandemic uh, through my social media account. But um, it, it, uh, I'm doing so more, uh, more sparingly than, than I was at one point, but Mm -hmm. certainly your listeners can follow me there. So the core of your previous question was what are the lessons learned? And, um, I mean, one of the most contentious, uh, aspects of the pandemic, uh, dialogue has been the origins. And, um, I don't want to go sort super deep on that, but I, I think biosafety is, is going to be something that we're going to need to definitely, um, dot our i's and cross our t's as as we go forward now for those who endorse a lab leak hypothesis for sars cov2 the the reason for that is obvious but um but even for those who are you know skeptical of that of that theory i think effort spent on increased biosafety at bsl you know particularly at bsl3 and 4 facilities is uh is something that um is uh, is is time and money well spent? And uh, I mean Alison Young, who's a, a journal a, now, a freelance journalist. She used to be at USA Today. Um, your your listeners can find her on Twitter. She, she's done um, really great reporting on uh, biosafety lapses at labs all over the world. And and so you know, re- regardless of what one thinks about the specific origins of COVID, there are documented. Um, lapses in biosafety um, at at labs that deal with dangerous pathogens, and this is something that I, th- I think ought to be a lesson learned. Even if one is reluctant to endorse a specific origin story for SARS-CoV two, I, I think uh, if if we're keen to avoid you know another pandemic, th- that's something where. I think we all should be able to agree, as I said, this has become a contentious area, but it's, yeah. it's one in which we all should be able to agree that it's, it's effort well spent. And, and, and one doesn't have to endorse, again, a, a single origin theory f- for this pandemic to, to agree that, you know, biosafety at research facilities is
1: important. Professor, do you have a sense how frontline doctors and nurses are feeling right now? Is it is it a uh a winter surge, is it just a question of how bad it is or are we hoping for the best to give a sense of that?
0: I mean, clinical healthcare workers. So, I mean, I'm a, a, you know, I'm in the field of public health, but I'm not, I'm not a clinician. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, my, my doctorate is a PhD, not an MD. And, 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 uh, I mean, clinical healthcare workers have done absolutely yeoman work in the last 22 months, uh, during this pandemic. And, I mean, healthcare worker burnout is certainly a real phenomenon. I mean, and I, I do worry about it as we head into uh, the winter of 2021 slash 2022. That is to say, as we head into this winter, I worry about clinician burnout. Not because I have any doubts about, you know, the the tenacity um, and fortitude of, of those who work in that field, but just because, you know... T- there's not a whole lot of margin for error in terms of if if we have a bad um, Omicron wave this winter, um, it's going to be you know another situation in which we we need all hands on on deck, particularly in the clinical setting. And so, you know, it's it's something I've I've watched with uh, concern, but it's it's not, I mean, it's not necessarily what's keeping me up at night from the point of view of I think I think the Public health colleagues in the clinical space have done amazing work, and and uh, and I, I have they have my full faith that they'll continue to do amazing work. Gotcha.
1: You know, just we have just a few more minutes, Professor. Just on a you know personal side of what these last couple of years have been like, have, have you literally been interviewed all over the world? Now, I mean, what can you just tell us a little bit, like what that's been like?
0: Well, I've I've been. Um, I've been highly engaged with, with the press and, and mm-hmm. with the news media during the pandemic. I've been interviewed, yeah, as, I mean, um, chiefly by print media, but I've also done, um, you know, uh, television and radio appearances for KUCI and for other s- stations. I mean, KCI is the most important station, of course, mm-hmm. uh, because it comes from the campus of UC Irvine, but uh, there are other radio stations and, uh, so I've been extremely busy. I mean, there there were times uh, during the peak in public interest in the pandemic when I was on the phone to a reporter, you know, most of the day, sort of every day, Monday through Friday. And, and there certainly have been months during the past 22 months where, you know, if there were 31 days in the month, then I was on the phone 31 days with with one or the other a member of the news media, you know, Sundays, Saturdays, you name it. Um so it's it's been um, you know that's been challenging at times to to um, to keep up with you know answering the, the same question you know <laughs> uh, fifteen different times and 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 what have you but but I mean I think it's important that we communicate science to the public and that and, and the, the public have an informed uh, voice and so it's been something something that I've enjoyed doing I'm, I'm pleased to share with you and your listeners that um, the the my employer and and the the campus at U C Irvine has recognized my work for this by uh, awarding me the uh, s- the campus wide uh, faculty senate o- award for service uh, for my um, for my work on 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 the press uh, in well work in the press on the pandemic and uh, was that just recently or yeah yeah, yeah. the uh, the award was announced in in this past fall and I'll I'll receive. Uh, a a plaque, uh, during a zoom ceremony in March. Um, and, uh, and, uh, so yes, it's, 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 it's recent. It's sort of the current cycle of, of the award. And, uh, I'm, I'm humbled and honored to, to have been selected for that. And there've been, a you know, a, a number of UCI faculty members who have devoted a lot of time to interacting with the press. I'm certainly not the only one. And so I'm sort of accepting it on, on behalf of, of all of us who've, who've done work in the press, but it's it's nice to to see that recognition, and it's nice that the faculty senate recognizes, you know, that role as a as a service role as something that is part and parcel of, you know, the job description, and not just something that um, that we do, um, you know, on the side. Because uh, uh, it's, it's 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 sort of exciting and and, and fun uh, to to talk to the news media because it's outside sort of the normal job description of a professor, but. But it is it is uh, believe me it's uh, when you're doing it uh, all the time it's 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 part it's part of the job I mean it's, uh, doing that all the time is, is is no one no one's idea of uh, of a hobby
1: right it's, right right Professor we have one minute left the last message during this holiday season tell me is it more get vaccinated get boosted if you haven't done that yet wear a mask what about travel do you have any yeah so
0: here's my advice. And, and as I said earlier, Kevin, I, I always follow my own advice. So, you know, I, I never tell the public anything that, that I wouldn't be doing myself. So so I am traveling to the East Coast to see uh, some loved ones. And so I don't think travel is off the table. My advice is to respect the virus, you know, not to necessarily uh, stay at home behind a wall of sandbags and, you know, never never go out and, and uh, you know, but just respect the virus like it it's it's a potential killer it's it's a serious it's seriously transmissible wear a mask in indoor public settings like the grocery store the, and the mall get vaccinated get boosted and respect the virus but don't hide in our basements hiding in our basements that was for march and april 2022 we have vaccines now get vaccinated we cannot hide because there's covid because there's going to be covid for a long time and that means we're going to be hiding for decades which is not going to work.
1: Thank you again to UCI public health professor and pandemic expert, Dr. Andrew Neumer, for his continued dedication to keep the UCI community informed about COVID-19 and the new Omicron variant. As Professor Neumer said, you do not need to hide, but you do need to respect the virus. Get the vaccine and booster and wear a mask in public. Respect the virus. It is dangerous not to, to not only yourself, but also to others around you. And don't forget, for the latest UCI community information about COVID-19, simply Google uci.edu. You can also keep up with the professor on his Twitter address, at Andrew Neumer, you spell Neumer N-O-Y-M-E-R, at Andrew Neumer. And congratulations again to Dr. Neumer on his Faculty Senate Service Award for all his pandemic media work over the past two years. Kudos for a job well done. Ladies and gentlemen, don't forget this interview was broadcast live at KUCI on December 15th, 2021. Until the next time, Dr. Neumer, thank you. And now playing the show theme song of Signifying from his CD of the same name, the piano man himself, Fred Kaplan. Take it away, Fred.